0: I want to pique your attention to Romans 8, and I want to pique your attention to something else that's going to be happening. Um, As we consider some of these things, what we can expect from God, uh, if you've been around me or you've heard me teach a few times, you'll know that uh, what we can expect from God uh, in the future is this, that on May the 20th, there's a big day coming. It's called Pentecost. Now, I grew up in a tradition and a church that did. I don't know they even knew when it happened. Uh, but it's going to be March the 20th. And we're going to have a celebration in here. What I say? You knew what I meant. No. <laughs> Maybe. May. I saw a couple people going, and I'm thinking, what did I just? Uh, May. May the 20th. And uh, I, I honestly, after Easter, after Easter, it's great. It's wonderful. Uh, the celebrations, the music like that. But the question that starts ringing in my head, now what? Is that it? Is that the goal of God's activity? I would say to you, no. It's not. Jesus said to his disciples, after he rose from the dead, well, you'd think he'd say, what? Sickum. (laughs) You know, he's risen from the dead. He's defeated death. He's destroyed the power of the enemy uh, in terms of uh, came to destroy the world. And, and, And he says this crazy thing. Wait wait. For 50 days, 40 of them, he was with them and 10 more. He says, wait. And he is saying that it's not over. You're not ready. So I just want to kind of pique your attention and your interest that we're going somewhere. And what we can expect from God, we'll discuss that as we work more. I want to show it to you graphically in my thinking. I like to think visually if I can. That if you will, that the, the story that we just came through was number one, the incarnation. That's when Jesus came on the earth and lived and taught and declared the rule of God and how one could be in relationship with him. And then we come to Easter where we have not only the incarnation but the redemption of humanity. I can't spell and I get close to a board so I think that's the way it's spelled. <laughs> redemption, <clears throat> where we understand, if you will, and we'll work some more of this out. But where we understand that Jesus' life and death dealt with our pardon. Our pardon for sin. But in this 50 days, Jesus is teaching them about the kingdom of God. The idea here is he's saying there's something here that is really the goal. And I'm going to spend a couple of weeks discussing this when we get to that. Pentecost is the, uh, if you will, the bestowing of the Holy Spirit here on Pentecost as the goal, because God not only wants to give us pardon for our sin, but he wants to give us power for living. Those are the two features of that. He wants to give us pardon, certainly. But now what? Are we going to have power for living? Are we going to be able to be the kind of people that have the power of Jesus Christ that rose from the dead living in us? And so that's where we're going. That's what we can expect from God. That's kind of our question we've been working with. But I just want you to know you're in a church that we love Christmas, we love Easter, but we know this is the goal of God's activity right here. If it wasn't, He wouldn't have said wait, right? You know, He, he wouldn't have said wait, but He said wait until you receive this power that comes from the Spirit. So we're going to re- celebrate that and be a part of that, and uh, w- it'll be a lot of fun uh, as we celebrate that. And remember, I just I just every Easter or not every Easter, but when I, when I get through with Easter. After all the celebration and all the wonderful things and all the talk about victory over death, my question is this, now what? Now what? Now what? Now now what does that mean for me and for you uh, as we um, uh, live our lives and uh, uh, go on to the fact? So that's, I just want to kind of give you a heads up. That's not even really part of our lesson. How about that? How about that? I just thought I'm, I'm serious. I this this I, I, I did anybody grow up in a church that did not celebrate Pentecost like me? Yeah. How many of you went to a church that did? How many of you are not going to answer me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and to me, it's the key. That's a kind of a crude way to say that, but it is the understanding that this is what all all. You may want to take issue with that, but I'm telling you, I believe it is. This is all of God's activity working to that. That's the adder matter, that we'll, and we'll look at some of that. So I want to look here today again at what can we expect from God. This is what we can expect in the future. But we've looked at this, uh, if you will, in Romans 8, and we said that Romans 8, 1 to 13 is a powerful life. And you'll note in there that the recurrence of the term "spirit" over and over and over and over and over. The language in Romans eight is "spirit, spirit." What the law could not do, God did through His Son. That the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Spirit, spirit, spirit. Over and over again, we'll see it some more. Uh, and that's in contradiction or c- contrasted to Romans seven. Where the language in seven is I I I the things I want to do I can't the things I try to stop I can't I I I I I those two those two chapters are like signposts there to show the distinction in living so a powerful life second we've been looking at this at verse fourteen we picked it up a a, a particular life and what I mean by that is there's some specifics here I want to pick up and I think I put these on there number one there's guidance in this life number two there's assurance. 15 and 16. There's inheritance uh, in 17. And here's the one I want us to work on today. Acceptance. Acceptance. And I want to begin at verse 18. Now, let me just, again, set up the context here for you. Romans 8, 18, if you will, really through some of the last of this chapter, Paul uh, addresses something that we probably don't like to talk about. And it's called suffering. And as I think about this, you know what, what, what a crazy thing to talk about the, the, the Sunday after Easter, but I want to try to connect that to say that, that this is the real life gospel here, of talking about that Paul is not avoiding, if you will, the matters. Now I said uh, before we went for uh, Easter that uh, there are two types of suffering as I these are my categories, there may be others. There are two types of suffering. One is cultural. And I'm just using that to mean that you might suffer because of somebody else's activity. That's easy for me to understand. You know, somebody sometimes suffers because a drunk driver hits them. Uh, or, or, or somebody suffers because somebody uh, does something painful to them or their family. Or, or, or we suffer because uh, 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 people take their freedom and liberty. That's, that's simpler for me to understand because there's kind of a cause-effect relationship. I'm just calling that cultural suffering. Now, I'm not trying to make us be, you know, a persecution complex. I'm saying that's a big, big concept there. But what Paul seems to be dealing with in 18 following is what I'm calling cosmic. Cosmic. The kind of suffering where a child is born with birth defects and dies. The kind of suffering where a tsunami destroys a group of people who can ill afford to have a tsunami and have to rebuild. Uh, 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 the, the matter of earthquakes that are not in caused by injection wells. No, <laughs> that, I don't know how that got in there. <laughs> and there's a cause and effect there, you know. Maybe I, I went to USGS the other day just to make sure of that. Or diseases and plagues. That's that kind of cosmic suffering. You don't point to any one thing or any one person. You see it in the fallen world in which we live in. So look here at verse 18. Let's start there. For I consider that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory that is revealed in us. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth up until now. Not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, that's where we're heading with it, that first fruits is called the day of Pentecost. This is after Pentecost. Paul is writing, so he's saying, look, we're the people, we're the people, We're the people who've experienced first fruits. That's the the celebration. That's what the Jews called Pentecost, the the, the celebration of the first fruits. It means we've got some of it, not the whole harvest, that we ourselves groan, waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for he who hopes for what he already sees. But if we hope for that which we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, now this is a very important uh, conjunction here, a very important uh, transition. In the same way, in the same way as the universe is struggling, the Spirit helps our weaknesses for we don't know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings, too deep for words. And He who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I want you to notice something here. I'm going to go down and back up. Uh, One of the questions that arises in my mind, and I said, again, I told Becky, this is going to be, this is really the outline stuff Cliff wants to talk about. Okay, so stay with me. There is what I have to expect from God is either an expectation or an acceptance of the kind of world I live in and the kind of world you live in. Have you ever, my dad, a couple of times, more than a couple, when I would do something, he would consider like, are you stupid or you just don't care? <laughs> He'd say to me, what kind of world do you think you live in here, son? I didn't have an answer. <laughs> what kind of world do you think you live in? I mean, we've just celebrated Easter and I'm happy about it. And we're looking at the spirit, but what kind of world do you live in? You live in one that's fallen. You live in one Where there is groaning, I want you to notice something here. What can you expect from the Spirit? Now, again, I'm I'm under number four. I think that's where I'm. There we go. Uh, Here's I want to I want to distill this and then run back with it. What can you expect from God? Verse fourteen, that He will guide me. Is that on your outline? (laughs) It is. Wow, I I surprised myself. Yeah, know that. There we go. Except here. This is not, this is not, this is not on there. This is what I can expect from him. Guide me. Verse 14. Assure me of my relationship and the future. 15 to 17. I can, he will guide me, Eight fourteen. He will assure me of my relationship and the future, Eight fifteen to 17. Get this. He'll pray for me. In the midst of of this suffering world, 18 to 27. Now now watch this, because I, I'm just going to come back on this. Watch this. I don't know if you ever noticed this. In verse 22, what is groaning? Huh? The world or the creation. See, the word groan means to be under the weight of it. The, the, the word groan means to be under the weight of something. It means to be, in some sense, it means to be a struggle. So, so the creation is groaning. Right? Look at verse uh, 23. What, who else is groaning? No, 23. We ourselves. We ourselves are groaning. And, and it's a particular kind of groaning because we're waiting for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's what we're groaning for. We're, any, anybody's body groaning today? <laughs> I tell someone, I, I know when you get older. Here, here's the sign. You make sounds when you go down or get up, right? You say, "Go, Ugh. right?" You you are officially now old. Okay, so that's it. I sat down the other day in church and I went, Ugh. "I went, oh man," and it's a struggle to get up. You know, oh, oh man, my back. Oh, Groaning. Groaning. What kind of world are you in? We're groaning. Isn't it wonderful news though here that Paul says there's somebody else groaning for you. Who's that? Verse 26. There's somebody else groaning for you. The Holy Spirit. this, This has become more of a life verse for me. Likewise, what it says right here, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. What's my weakness? What do you see the weakness there is? We, we don't know how to pray. I, man, I, I go to God more times than not and just say, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say, and I don't know what to do. But I know that I'm not alone in this. That you are praying for me right now. That in the midst of this kind of world and universe that I'm in, you're praying for me. You're interceding for me according, if you will, to the will of the Father. And so this idea of groaning, some years ago as I was working that I thought, wait a minute, the universe is groaning, we get that. I'm groaning, we get that. The good news of Easter, the good news of the Holy Spirit that we're marching toward for Pentecost is that he's praying for you. There have been times, you know, when I pray, uh, and I, I said this to a friend of mine just the other day. Prayer is still a mystery to me in many ways. I just have to be honest with you. It's a mystery to me. I don't understand how it works all the time, but I know this. I I sort of grew up in a tradition that made you think that if you ever said anything or admitted any uh, doubt or wonder, God is so picky, he's not going to answer your prayer. Anybody grow up in that church? Yeah, that's absurd. Either God is good, and he knows our what? Weakness. Now notice this right here, and I'm gonna go back because there's some stuff out of 18 to 26 I gotta unpack. The, the word there, weakness, asthenia, is a Greek word, it doesn't mean sin. It's not the word for sin. It means for weakness, lack of power, lack of ability. I, I love Psalm 103, for God treats us as a father. He knows we are simply dust. Do you ever know that? Read that in Psalm 103. God has not responded to us according to our sin. He has mercy and compassion because he remembers we're simply dust. So the Holy Spirit prays for us. He prays for us. And he's interceding for you and me. And when you don't know how to pray and I don't know how to pray, what do we know? The Spirit's groaning. Now, some have suggested this might be some spiritual gift. I'm, I, I am not convinced of that. It says that these groanings are too deep for words. You ever, you, ever, you ever been in those kind of experiences where somebody was going through something and you didn't really know what to say, but you were just there and you just said, I'm just here. There weren't words communicated or shared. There weren't words between you. But there was this communication that you knew that that person was there for you. You knew they cared for you. They knew you understood the depths at which you were going through. And so he prays for us. So let me just pause here and ask you to consider this 18 to 23. And here's the way I want to go with it. Number one, <clears throat> I think we ought to accept the reality of suffering and quit fighting it. Notice here, <clears throat> for verse 18, for I consider, I want to stop just right there. I want, it says this, accept the reality. <clears throat> I consider that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared I consider, Paul didn't say I feel. He didn't say uh, I, I, uh, I. I hope. I, I guess. The Greek word here is logizomai. and it means, if you will, in this matter of suffering, it literally means to come to the logical conclusion. The logical conclusion. This is not, if you will, uh, the matter of just some feeling or idea. It is, if you will, the evidence of it. I, 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 I think this. I, I logically pull this together. I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared to those that come. I, I had a friend of mine uh, years ago. His name was Barry Herring. Barry was a guy I went to college with. He was from East Texas. And um, I think, first of all, I had to accept the reality of this. Accept the reality of this. Um, Barry uh, was was an interesting guy. He was a good singer. He's from East Texas. He drove a truck. He drove a stick shift. No no automatic for him. And and Barry was a remarkable guy. Played the bass uh, guitar. And I say all that to say this, because Barry only had one arm. He'd been in an accident. His arm had been cut off. And Barry played a bass guitar where he turned the sound up so when he fretted it, It played. He was so determined to accept his situation. He wasn't saying, I like it, but I accept it. He bought a standard shift pickup truck. Now, anybody remember standard shift pickup trucks? Three on the dash? His right arm was the one he didn't have. He did this all his life. He's a great guy still down in East Texas he would over his body like this and shift and did it just to drive us all crazy. I remember you get in the truck with him and go, wait a minute. You don't have an automatic in this thing? Nah, I got a standard. Why? Why not? (laughs) Right? This, this, Coming to this conclusion, Paul says, I consider. It's logical for me. It's not a matter of feeling. It's not a matter of of, of the experience. It's not a matter of things are working out. He says, I I, I consider it logically that the sufferings of this present time. And notice here, he said, accept the truth about suffering. What what is the truth about suffering? What is the truth about suffering? Notice what he said. (laughs) Um, And I've got this all out of whack in my brain here. So look here, it says this. Here, here, here's the truth about it, that the suffering of this present age is not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed. The, the, the suffering is, is um, if you will, it, it, it's not worthy to be compared to be the glory. Now, you know, uh, I said this, I think, a couple weeks ago. As Americans, our life's pretty good. You know, there are a lot of people around the world that heaven often looks kind of hopeful to them. To us, it's sort of an interruption. (laughs) You know, I got this trip planned to Colorado. You know, I remember when I was graduating from college, my dad was part of the board and I'd worked really hard, you know, and was sort of hard and, and, uh, and, uh, worked in school. And, and I remember i was standing in line to get ready to graduate. You know, it's a big deal for me, you know, like this. And I literally, I knew, I, I knew enough theology to be dangerous. I'd literally do this, not now. Second coming, you know. <laughs> yeah, not now. <laughs> At least let me get my diploma, okay? Just then, you archangels can do whatever they want to do. I'm serious now. I'm not kidding. I'm standing like not now. <laughs> Start walking up. The, 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 this idea of the sufferings that we face now, he's saying, look, it's not worthy to be compared. What is to be revealed? To us. I I, I look at that and I say, this is not to say Martin Lloyd Jones said, you know, uh, this doesn't mean that your sufferings are inconsequential. It doesn't mean they're light. It means this when you look at them in their weight. In the Greek word here, it's he says right here, he says, it's not worthy to be compared, it's a scale. The word worthy, axios, is a scale. And the idea Paul is saying here is that this suffering you're in right now will put the scale right here. But whenever you put the future of what will reveal to us, it's going to outweigh it. And the scales will be tipped like this to say, it's not that this isn't important, it's just less valuable. It's, it's the idea of that it's. That it's proportional, it's not worthy to be compared to what, if you will, is coming. I, I don't know about you, I, you know, I, I'm not a morbid person at all, I love living, I love life. But there's something coming for all of us. This redemption of our bodies, that's what he says, this, this glory that we will experience someday, that, that, that this suffering is proportional, it's, it's not worthy to be compared to what we have in front of us, and I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not, you know, Paul's a uh, Paul's a a regalist. but he said it's not worthy. I, I was thinking about this when I when I was thinking about this idea of that it's it's not worthy. I, you know, I I detest needles, I really do. <clears throat> um, and uh, a friend of mine was talking one time because I was about fifty nine and I had, I'm, I'm a patient person. I didn't want a colonoscopy at fifty. I just thought there are too many people. It's too busy. All the fifty year olds are there. I'll wait. Denial's a wonderful thing. <clears throat> and, uh, and I remember, <clears throat> I remember uh, uh, you know, talking like that. I had a friend say this to me one time. You don't like needles? No. Well, hey, big boy, get colon cancer and see what happens. And I went, what? They said, you'll get a needle all the time. And I thought, hmm. Let me think about this for a second here. <clears throat> is it worth not getting stuck once here with getting stuck a bunch of times? I made an appointment for a colonoscopy. (laughs) That's what Paul's saying. Look, it's painful. You don't like it. But when you weigh it out, it's not worth what we're having in the future. This sounds, maybe this isn't what you thought you'd get right after Easter. Let me tell you, if Easter means anything, if the Spirit means anything like this, it's going to enable us to live real life. Real life life. Not in some kind of avoidance, not in some kind of way that says everything's going to be great, everything's going to be fine, but in this fallen world where we are groaning, the world is groaning. Now watch this too. For the anxious, verse 19, the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. This is, again, I think I've got this, the truth about suffering. Go back. Got too far. Come on, Cliff. We'll get it. The truth is that it's considered, as logical, it's not compared. And he says, "For the anxious longing of the creation." This word here, "anxious longing," what is the what is the creation anxiously longing? What does it say there? Verse nineteen. Huh? The revealing of what? Sons of, God. Sons of God. The word here, the anxious longing. <clears throat> Paul uses a very uh, picturesque language here. It means to stretch the neck to see. To stretch the neck to see. There's something here you need to know about yourself. There's something we need to know in the midst of suffering. That the universe is stretching its neck to finally see the revealing of us as the children of God. There's something that's going to happen here. There's something that the universe is pulsating to see. It's stretching its neck. It's looking out into the future to say, what is going to be the revealing of the sons of God? We don't think of ourselves like that, but the whole universe is stretching and seeking to see the end of this. It reminded me of 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. You can write this down. You'll look at it later. It says, Beloved, now we are the children of God. It's not yet appeared what we will be, but we know when, we, when he comes, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. I mean, this world tries to keep us working on everything now. Paul is saying this, the whole universe is stretching its neck to see what we're going to be. You're going to be something glorious. You and I are going to be something that the whole universe is glad to have seen. So it's eagerly awaiting, if you will. It's eagerly stretching its neck in an attempt, if you will, to see what's happening. There's a future glorification. There's a future revealing of our lives and who we are through Jesus Christ. He continues. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not, not willingly. When sin entered the world, it broke something. Something happened here, but because of him who subjected it in Hope. Notice, God didn't subject the universe just to futility out of some kind of hostility, but he subjected it in hope that one day, through the work of Jesus Christ, that the sons of God would be revealed. That they would be revealed in all of creation. And that somehow, human beings in their life and in their liberty in Christ, the creation is looking for them. And so he says that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to the corruption and freedom, to the glory of the children of God. Do you realize how important we are in the universe? In the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficulty, I know we feel like God's what? Forgotten us. But in the midst of this creation, we're what it's about. That the universe is looking. The universe is straining. The glory of God's children that will be revealed in that day is going to be something all well beyond our belief. Verse 22, so far, we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, are groaning. See, my, one of my professors used to say that we need to help people understand that having the Spirit nowadays doesn't mean that we get free from every problem or every difficulty. This I think is why Paul is writing this. He, he said, remember, we're children of God. We're joint heirs with Christ. And he goes right into what? Suffering. What, what do we associate with suffering? Huh? Sin. Pain. Yeah, well, pain for sure, yeah. Pain, suffering. What else? How's God feeling about us? Huh? Do, do, any, do you have any of those thoughts? Yeah. This is an attempt to say... Hold it. This is part of a universe that's falling, and the whole universe is looking to see what's going to happen when the children of God are finally revealed. Finally revealed. This whole thing's moving somewhere. It's going to some great destination. And as a consequence of this, Paul is unwilling, I think, to avoid it. He's unwilling to do what I call good time rock and roll, you know, just to kind of avoid it all and blow it off and never face it squarely to say, there's nothing wrong with you. You haven't done anything. It's the world you live in. I, I, I'm, I'm confident, at least in my mind, that this is this great <clears throat> corrective. Because I know when people suffer and have difficulty, one of the things that starts running through their brain is, what have I done? Why has God left me? Why is God doing this to me? This theology here of suffering suggests it is not worthy to be compared. It's not God's hammer or it's not God's attempt to hurt you. It is simply the world you and I live in. Is that fatalistic? No, I'm not, I'm not fatalistic. I'm not fatalistic. I just am saying I, I want to disassociate suffering from some way that God's attempting to hurt or harm me It's the world we live in. because if you read on through here, we come to this in the same way the Spirit helps our weakness. See the last thing is acceptance is accept God's presence in your suffering. Verse 26 and 27. Accept God's presence in your suffering. You're not alone. the, the creation's groaning. We're groaning. We're not alone. The Spirit of God is groaning. He's bearing up under the weight of our sorrow and our pain. And particularly our inability to know what to say. To know how to pray to know what to say. he pray, it, Look, it's the promise. He says, he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches the heart and the mind, know, or knows the mind of the spirit, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I, I'll be honest with you. I, as we work in this series on what can I expect from God. When I was in seminary, I took several classes on prayer. As a pastor and as a professor, I've studied many books on prayer. As a follower of Jesus, I have practiced prayer, and I still don't understand it all. It is still a mystery to me. And I pray to a God who I know is good. He's not picky. He's not saying, oh, I was going to do that, but you said the wrong word. How many of us have... I mean, I've I've lived with that fear. I've lived with that fear. That... That if I say the wrong thing, or I don't have enough faith, I was praying the other day, the Lord, what is enough? When those people came to Jesus, they just came to Him. That's it? He didn't say stand on your head and recite the Torah. He just, they just came to Him. How much faith does it take? It takes enough faith to go to Jesus. It's a mystery. And we heap piles of guilt on people who just finally have to say at times, I don't really know what to ask anymore. The good news is you've got somebody asking for you. That you can just relax in one sense. I'm not saying don't pray anymore. I'm simply saying relax with the fact that you can confess, I don't know what to say, but there's someone praying for me. Now, you've either been in this suffering you are in this suffering, or you will be in this suffering because of the world you live in and the way this world is. And I, I, I guess my whole impulse here is I think the same thing as Paul. I think this is what my professor said this word may, we have this hyperactive eschatology. Well, there's a thought, right? <laughs> Write that down. Eschatology is about the second coming. When the sons of God are revealed. And when the glory of God is throughout the universe. That's going to happen at the end. But some of us sometimes have been under the influence that we thought all the good stuff's got to happen now. Remember, we have how much of the fruits? The first fruits of the Spirit. Not all of it. I saw something the other day that I want to show you. I want to set it up. Man, this computer's got to work today. <laughs> um, i, I got to set this up for you, and this will give me time here. I don't know where you are in your life or where you are in suffering or if you're even anywhere there. Um, but there are times when the suffering and the, the experience... I would say, brings a lot of sorrow to you. It, it may be the disappointment of a, of a child, or, or it may be the, 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 uh, an illness that doesn't seem to go away, or it may be the death of a loved one. And, and in some sense, the, the sense of peace and joy and wonder that you, that you know is gone. See, that's why I think Paul said, I consider. He didn't say, I feel this is true. It's logito mine. I, I, I consider it. It's a fact. I'd say it this way, and this is the way this is going to work on this video. Maybe metaphorically what it might mean is that the music kind of stops in our life. The diagnosis, the child, the problem, the difficulty. You might just say, you know, the closeness that I felt, or the, I'm really groaning now. I'm really groaning. And to know that the Spirit of God is praying for you, I want you to watch this. And this is a championship cheer team. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> but I want you to listen closely because something happens a minute or so into it, and people start counting. I want you to I want you to listen to this. We believe to be gone at night. what's happening here. This cheer team, the music stopped. And when the music stopped, the team members began to count it out for three, five, seven, one, three, five, seven, one, three, five, seven, one. Sometimes when the music stops in our life because of suffering we got to keep counting. Just keep counting. And you'll notice that it was other people that were counting. Helping them. Keeping them on point. Keeping them on point. You see when you think the music stopped because of suffering, the Holy Spirit is still counting. He's still counting. three, five, seven, one, three, five. Keep going, Cliff. seven, one. Three, five. Keep going, Cliff. Seven, one. Keep going. Three, five, seven, one. This is no escape, guys. This is living, real Life. I pray that when you and I experience these things, when the music stops, when the child won't straighten up, when the diagnosis won't get better, when the job is lost, you keep counting. You know the Holy Spirit keeps counting. And I pray that you have friends around you that keep counting. Stay with it, Cliff. Stay with it, Cliff. Keep counting counting. So you and I accept God's presence. He is groaning and he is praying for you. Paul said, I consider all this other stuff unable to be the same or to be worthy of what God can do in our lives. This is heavy stuff because Paul and the gospel will not avoid the kind of world you live in. The kind of world I live in, the kind of experiences you and I experience. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the world we live in, sometimes it's wonderful and other times it's painful. And so we pause here today, thankful that even though the universe is groaning and we're groaning, we have the assurance and hope that you are groaning and you are praying for us. When the music stops in our life for a moment, when it stops for a while, help us to keep counting. Help us to keep counting on you. Help us to keep counting on you and others as we face, as we live, as we enjoy this life kind of world we're in. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen.